Okay, let's talk Parshas Korach. Now, obviously, Parshas Korach, right? This week's Parsha in Chazlaretz. Machlokis is obviously the big theme here with the big fight between Korach and Moshe. But there, that's what we're going to spend most of our time on, obviously. Excuse me, but there is other things that we can uh, kind of nitpick here in the text uh, and bring out some, some nice ideas as well. So just again, to, to recap and quickly run through the Parsha, Korach basically decides that he's done with Moshe and Aaron as the leader. He wants to be the leader, so he kind of gathers up support. Uh, he says, all right, everybody, let's go. We're going to go complain. Right? He goes to complain to Moshe. Moshe says, hey, come on, you guys are Levium. I, this is, you know, you guys have already are very special. Uh, Korach obviously is not interested in, in that response. Um, he, uh, he, Moshe goes to fight and to, with Dustin Naviram, goes to appease really Dustin Naviram, who also are fighting uh, with him and they're not interested. Uh, so Moshe says, okay, no problem. Everybody, tomorrow, tomorrow, everybody's coming back here. All you, Korach and your 250 people, you're coming back. You're bringing Katoras. You're going to offer. You want to be the coin gadol? Great. You and Aaron. Everybody's bringing the bringing the Katoras, like the coin gadol does. And oh, by the way, there's only one person who's going to make it out of there alive. Pretty much, uh, the only one person who can bring the, the Katoras. Good luck. He hoped, basically, Moshe hoped that he would uh, kind of push him off until tomorrow. And uh, and basically, they they called his bluff and they showed up. And Moshe got all upset and doesn't have him. They walk out very, you know, very angrily. And haughty, and they say we're not interested. So Moshe basically davens to Gosh and as you know, the ground swallows up not only Korach, but all of his kids, and all of his money, and all of his possessions, etc., etc. Um, and then obviously all the people who brought Katoras get burned, and Aaron obviously is left uh, is left alive. Um, and the Bnei Yisrael come back after that. This is again the more underrated parts of the parsha towards the end. Bnei Yisrael come back and say, to, complain to Moshe and Aaron, "Hey, you're killing Jews." That's literally what it says. And Moshe and Aaron are like, what do you mean we're killing Jews? And he said, yeah, why did you suggest they were going to bring the Ketores? You knew they weren't going to make it. Why did you tell them to bring Ketores? So Hashem is obviously furious and he sends a plague. And of course, Moshe sends Aaron out with a pan of Ketores and through, with the Midrashim. It's not a psukim, but with the Midrashim, they explain that basically Aaron and the Ketores stop the Malachamavis in the middle of the of the camp and brings them back to Moshe and they basically stop the plague and the Ketores, which kind of, which, uh, which, which started the whole thing, stops the plague. And at the end of the Parsha, right, Hashem wants to send even great, uh, an even greater um, kind of proof that he has chosen Moshe and Aaron and the Levim, etc. He says, all right, everybody, every Shevet brings a stick. And we're going to put all these sticks in the Aaron Kodesh or in the Kodesh Kadashim. And in the morning, Aaron's stick had shkedim and flowers with almonds and flowers, right, to show that, uh, you know, Kosh Baruch had actually uh, picked uh, the Levim and the Kohanim, and then the, the end of the Parsha ends up with Matnos Kuhuna, some gifts that go to the Kohen, etc. But let's, let's dive, with that little background, let's dive in uh, to the Parsha. So basically, first, before we get to the whole Machlokas thing, because that's obviously the, the crux of what we're going to talk about, the first Pasuk. Point, brings in someone who I'm always I'm always fascinated by when the Torah introduces new characters. The Torah here mentions one person who is mentioned once in Tanakh uh, and never mentioned again. Pasuk says the beginning first Pasuk in the Parsha. Vaikach Korach ben Yisrael ben Kehoth ben Levi. Korach. Okay, this guy took right. Vidasan vaviram ben Eliav. Right. Dasan aviram. Again, Moshe has fought with before in Mitzrayim. The own ben Pelis. This guy owned ben Pelis. Who is this guy, Om Ben Pelis? The Torah does not mention him ever 
Again, so the Gemara explains, the Gemara and Sanhedrin, Daf Kutes, explains and contrasts the difference between two wives. On the one hand, Korach's wife, which the Gemara explains, dragged him down and kind of fed into the, his ego and his decision to rebel against Moshe, and Own's wife. Anybody familiar with Own's wife? Anybody familiar with that story at all? The only person with a screen on is Yeti, so I'm going to assume that's a no. No, okay, Kaelin, also no. Okay, says the Gemara, fascinating. Says the Gemara, Own came home, is like, all right, we're rebelling against Moshe. And his wife was like, what? What does that mean? And he's like, well, yeah, Korach, you know, he's getting these people together. So, and, you know, we're going to kind of, you know, overthrow him. And, and so Own's wife was like, I understand. If Moshe's the leader, so you're his student. And if Korach's the leader, you're also his student. So what's in it for you? So Owen was like, yeah, that's a fair point, but I already committed, so I'm going tomorrow morning, there's the whole thing, right? Ketores, etc. So Owen's wife said, I gotcha. Don't worry about it. What happens is, the Gemara says, he got her, she got him drunk, he fell asleep, and then, in the morning, when, when Korach's people came to take Owen with him, right, to kind of get him, she sat outside her tent, uncovered her hair, and then when they saw her, they were like, no, and, and they left. And that's how Own didn't get sucked into the whole scheme, and that's how Own's wife saved uh, his life. Um, and so, first of all, the first thing that jumps off the page, obviously, when you read that Gemara, is how important a wife is. Is that the wife is Kovea, right? We've mentioned this many times in Samir, and, and I'm sure you've heard it from many teachers, but the wife is Kovea. The wife is Kovea, the religious attitude in the home. Right? Again, what she wants, she's going to, obviously, if a husband is not Shaykh, obviously, that's... Uh, we're talking about two people who are comparable, and she is going to either bring bring up and encourage or bring down, right? She, the wife is, is the koveya. That's that's very clearly the simple lesson of the Gemara. But the other lesson of the Gemara, which I like to point out, is fascinating, is that how far have we fallen as, a, I guess, as a society when, when in terms of tznius? Think about what the Gemara said. What happened? She sat outside, she uncovered her hair, and now, who are these people who are coming to kind of talk to Own? These are people who are rebelling against Moshe Rabbeinu. These are not the greatest tzaddikim of all time, although Chazal do talk about Korach as being a tremendous human being. But these are people who are rebelling against Moshe Rabbeinu. And they turn the corner, and there, oh my gosh, there's a woman who is uncovering her hair. And not only did they just like kind of like call to Own from a distance, they immediately turned around and left. Right? We don't even, doesn't even register. That behavior, being sensitive to that type of tzniyas, does not even register in our minds. Right? We are so, <laughs> these are not the greatest tzaddikim of the generation, but they are not even willing to kind of spend a moment with a woman whose hair is uncovered, a married woman whose hair is uncovered, uh, because that was the sensitivity that they had in terms of tzniyas, in terms of respecting boundaries between uh, different families. So just, I always like to point out, just to realize how that, that doesn't even like register in our brain until someone points it out, uh, that that was uh, something that uh, that they, they obviously held dear, even though they were rebelling against Moshe Rabbeinu, they thought that that was uh, obviously of value. Okay, Vaitra, let's, let's talk about Machlokas. Machlokas, obviously, arguments, fights, obviously, this is the crux of the Parsha. The, 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 the fact that Machlokas is so terrible is illustrated all over the place, just to bring two of them. Uh, the Medrash at the beginning of the Parsha and the Yushami in Peah, uh, the Medrash in, in Noach, points out a distinction between, well, well, let's do one and then the other. Both of them are the same point. 
the one you're familiar, more familiar with is in Parshas Noach, which is the flood, and the, the Dora Mabul, right? The generation of the flood that you're familiar with, right? Flood, what was the sin of the generation of the flood? In Hamas, they were stealing from each other, societal breakdown, right? People were stealing less than the Shavapruta, right? Kosh Baruch Hu, right? for whatever reason, the richest, the richest, the evil had gotten to a point where Kosh Baruch Hu destroyed them. Tower of Bavel is the story at the end of Parshas Noach, where they decided to build a tower, simple shot, to rebel against the Kosh Baruch Hu. What happened to them? They got dispersed throughout the entire world. And says the Medrash, and says, you know, everybody, I don't understand. If you had to tell me, which, which group of people would you think would get wiped out by Kosh Baruch Hu? The people who decided to build a tower and fight a war against it, right? That would be, I would, that would, is what I would say. And the people who were stealing from each other, okay, right? Society had kind of like a breakdown in morals. I wouldn't necessarily have killed all of them myself. I would have probably spread them out, maybe done exactly what Hashem did to the Dora Flaga, to the Tower of Bavel people. But no, it's the reverse. Uh, even though you would think that the capital punishment should have been for the, the door of the, of the Tower of Bavel, the Dora Flaga. So what is So I'll explain, yeah, because the people who were building the Tower of Bavel were united. Puzzle goes out of its way to say that clearly. They were not united. They were of, of one mind. And when people are united, even if it's in an evil cause, Kosh Baruch Hu respects that. We'll talk about Shalom at the end. Right? But it's much worse when people are fighting with each other and there's machlokas all over the place and society breaks down and people get, can't get along with each other. That is much worse. And the Kosh Baruch Hu had no choice but to bring a flood to destroy them. Right? Fascinating contrast. The one that you're maybe a little bit less familiar with is the stories in Tanakh. The, 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 again, the Yushalmi and Peah, the Medrash, the beginning of the Parsha, compares two different kings of Israel. One you know, Dovin Amalek, and one you may know also is Achav HaRasha. Achav was a terrible Russia, right? Fought with Eliyahu uh, You know, again, his wife, Izevel, was pretty horrible. But the Gemara says, fascinating. So the, the people in the generation of Dovin Amalek, he said the kids in the base Medrash, the kids who were learning Torah, could argue a point, whether something was Tameh or Tahor, could argue 49 ways one way and 49 ways the other way. There were tremendous geniuses in steeped in Torah, yet there was tremendous amount of machlokas and war and death and death during war. But in the days of Achav, since everybody was united in worshipping Avodah Zarah, as crazy as that is, they were, the, Gemara, the language that the Gemara uses is Del Torin, or the Medrash uses is Del Torin. They weren't quarrelsome, as I guess is a bad translation, but they weren't fighting with each other. They would go out to war and they would be victorious and, and they would not have, uh, you know, I guess, too many, too many losses. What was the difference? The difference was Shalom. The difference was Machlokas. And Machlokas is the worst, uh, is, the, is one of the, maybe the worst of all evils. Rashi in the Parsha also quotes another Medrash that says that based in, it's fascinating, that if you notice the Psukim, what happened when the ground swallowed up Korach and all of his fam? It literally the entire family. Right? Kids, little kids, possessions. Usually, says Rashi, says measures, Bezdin punishes from the age of 13. Right? Bezdin Shalmalash and Shemayim, right? Doesn't punish until a person is 20. Right? But here the Torah goes out of its way to show that the children got punished. And lesson number one is simply that children, why, why in the world would a coach who punish children? Why, why, in the, why in the world would the coach probably punish children? So lesson number one aspect is that very often children bear the brunt of adult machlokas. That unfortunately, when adults are arguing, children are inevitably affected, swept up uh, in the fights. Right? For me, for boys, so it's little league and kids sports and parents yelling at the umpire and parents yelling at the coach and parents fighting in the stands. 
and the poor kid is standing on the mound and just doesn't want to be bothered and just wants to throw a pitch. It's fight. <laughs> that is the worst. When parents get involved in fights, the kids just get swallowed up. For girls, I would imagine uh, you guys could probably give better examples than I could. I don't know what other fights with birthday parties, bus mitzvahs, I don't know, whatever. But you guys probably understand when parents are fighting, when adults are fighting, so the kids get brought into it. If there's fighting between uh, between spouses, the kids get affected. Right, so if one, if if whatever reason you get into a fight, so and you can't get over, can overcome your itzahara and your ego, or whatever. So maybe just remember what a fighting does to the kids. The kids are always, always affected. But why? But but again, but more more importantly, why are kids punished here? Why were they swallowed up by the ground? So Chaim Shmulevitz writes in Sichus Mutzer, he points out a fascinating Gemara in Sanhedrin, Gemara, different Gemara in Sanhedrin, Dafayim Beis. So he says that at the end of the parsha, they're, they're not the end of the parsha. At the end of the Torah in Parshas Kisavo. Kisisa, sorry. The the stories of the Ben Sora Mora are and the Yefas Torah are back to back. What are those two stories? So the Yefas Torah is the beautiful captive that you're probably familiar with. That if a man goes out to war and he can't control himself, he's allowed to marry, very simply, a non-Jewish woman who is beautiful. And the next thing the Torah says is the story of the Ben Sora Mora, which is basically what's I guess poorly translated as the wayward son, the son that rebels, steals meat, steals wine. The Torah says you have to put him to death. Says Rav is why they're back to back, but to show that if there's something wrong in the marriage, there's going to be something wrong in the kid, and that midos pass from child from parent to child, right? So if there's machlokas in the parents, the children are also going to be bali machlokas, right? And that's Chazal point out that that's why it's called Pirkei Avos, right? Pirkei Avos talks about what ethics of the fathers. What does that mean? Ethics of the fathers. Pirkei Avos does not mean ethics of the fathers. It means Pirkei, right? Chapters. Avos, of fathers. What does it mean, ethics of the fathers? What does that mean? It means that midos are passed from parent to kid. That well, Pirkei Avos is all about midos. That's what it means. It's passed from parent to kid. So if the parents are rebellious, the kids will be, rebe- will be rebellious. So lesson number two is that you will impart your character traits to your kids. Right? If, if you are an angry person and you don't want your kids to be angry, so you need to fix that now. You can't fix that then. Right? You need to fix that now, right? before you get married. Right, because your traits will pass down to them whether you like it or not. And it's going to happen. So whenever you have kids, at that point, right, you, you need to work on yourself beforehand if you want to fix what's going on, what's going on, what's going to be happening with your kids. Okay, now, another, meaning within the same, uh, within the same topic. The Mishnah Perkyavo says, it draws a, a, a parallel, just to, if, if, you're, if you want to look it up, it's Parakei Mishnah Yitzayin, maybe Tessayin, depending on your, your version. But uh, basically it says like this, that any machlogis that's L'shem Shemayim, that, that machlogis will work. But a machlogis that's not L'shem Shemayim, that's not going to work. That's not going to last. And what sh- what's an example of machlogis that l'shem, that's L'shem Shemayim? So that, that's Hillel and Shammai. Right? Beis Hillel, Beis Shammai, all the machlogis you see about Allah and the Mishnah. What's a machlokas that's not l'shem shemayim? That's the machlokas of quote Korach vat v'choladoso Korach and his two hundred fifty and his chaver. Now, how can you tell the difference between a machlokas that's l'shem shemayim and not l'shem shemayim? Right? People get into fights. It's just true. People have different opinions. People get into fights. Certainly, I don't have to tell you that nowadays. Nowadays, things are crazy. But in general, how do you? How can you tell? Right? We, it's very nice that the Mishnah gives a list. An example of machlokas that's l'shem shemayim and machlokas that's not, but how can we tell on a day-to-day basis? After all, Korach himself, right? Rashi quotes it, right? Korach himself 
pretended to want what's best for Amisrael. That's what he was saying to everybody. He said, listen, everything will be better. You'll get this, you'll get that, I'll give you this. How do you know what to do? So it's nowadays, unfortunately, there, there is so much Machlokas, and we have to really figure out how to kind of weed ourselves away from it, right? Everything is public. Everybody is put on blast, right? You don't, you don't have to follow the news to know, to know that this is going on. So, so there's a fascinating quote in the Chavetz Chaim. Chavetz Chaim writes, unbelievable word, and this is true 100 years ago, and it's certainly, certainly true now, that basically, let me just I'm pull it up over here, if I can find it. I'm going to try and paraphrase it, right? This is a Chavetz Chaim on that, is quoted on that Mishnah, and, and uh, it's really from a Sefer uh, Chavetz Chaim, but it's, 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 and the Chavetz, there's a Sefer called Chavetz Chaim on Perkei so they quote it over there. So he says, I'm just going to paraphrase, I'm reading the Hebrew, but I'll try and turn it into English, right? It's very, it pains me very much what's happening, there's, there's so much Machlokas in Am Yisrael, right? It happens all the time. Uh, everything is in public, and they print all these, uh, all these flyers and all these newspapers. Uh, this one fighting, that one fighting, uh, and it, it creates a fire that, that we have never seen before. With the, the going uh, newspapers and, and other publications back and forth. This one said that. This one said that. Right. It very much pains me that even in Israel this is happening. Right. Uh, and I don't know who allowed them to say lashon hara, who permitted them to to violate this iser. And create all these machloksim. Now, basically, he has the whole. It goes on and on, but I don't need to. I don't need to. You know, I don't need to. We don't need to spend time with that. But basically, if that's two hundred years ago, it's a thousand times more today with phones, etc. So we need to figure out. Right again, there are machloksim that are the shem shemayim, as the Mishnah says. Right, sometimes things are the shem shemayim. But how do you figure out whether you need to invest your time in something and figure out the truth or not, or or stay far, far away, which is more often than not. So. A couple, a couple ways to tell whether the machlokas is l'shem shemayim and something that's worth fighting for, or not. So Rav Vadya Bartanur on the Mishnah says that you can like, take a look at the objectives. That if it's to discern the truth, like by Shammai and Hillel, like they're trying to figure out what's the truth, what's the emes halacha, so then that's l'shem shemayim. But if the machlokas is, in your estimation, for kavod and power, like the Gemara says, right, Own and his wife and everybody knew that Korach just wanted to be the leader. Right, so if it's about more kavod and power and honor, etc., or bringing someone down, which we'll talk about a little bit, a little bit, so then that's not a change of mind. Right, if it's a, it's a, if it's about truth, then that's fine. But if it's about winning, then it's not. Another way you can tell says Sefer on Perkei is called the Mishnah Sachir by Rav Tachtel. He was killed in the Holocaust. Baruch Hashem, like the Ishkodesh, we have his writings. So he writes. That uh, if you look at what happened in the parsha, Moshe tried to appease Korach with words, with arguments, with things that he said back to them. He tried to appease Dasan Naviram, etc. What was Korach's response? Korach didn't respond to anything. Right? Korach says, says uh, the Mishnah Sachir. Korach knew that Moshe was brilliant and, and would always beat him in an argument, so he said nothing back. Right? So Korach didn't engage him. All he did was ridicule him. All he made fun. He said, "Oh, you know, you guys. I'm sure you've heard the examples." If a if tzitzis is a beggar is entirely blue, does it need treles? If a shul is filled with svarim, does it need a mezuzah? Korach would just belittling him. So that's another way to tell if the machlokas is not l'shem shemayim. If you don't have arguments going back and forth, and one side is just yelling, right, regardless of which side it is, if one side is yelling, you're a racist. If, if another side is yelling, you're a snowflake. The yelling is not machlokas l'shem shemayim. Right, just to bring modern day terminology into it, right? From both sides, if there's just argument, yelling, and there's no actual arguments, so then that's not the shame shemayim. That's not helpful. Finally, finally, Refrand, uh, Yisachar Refrand, points out to notice the language in, in the Mishnah. 
He says, what is, fascinating, what does the, the Mishnah say? It says, what's L'shem Shamayim? Hillel and Shammai, right? In Hillel and Shammai, it's two people, Hillel and Shammai, right? Fighting with each other, right? And that's, that's L'shem Shamayim because they're going back and forth. They're bringing arguments back and forth. That's, that could be L'shem Shamayim. But what's the other way? What's the low L'shem Shamayim? Zumachlokes Korech Va'adaso. This is the machlokas of Korach and his people. What should it have said? The Mishnah should have said it's machlokas Korach and Moshe. Says her friends, no, no, no. When machlokas not l'shem shemayim, when it's all about one side, that's not l'shem shemayim, right? Korach's fight was all about Korach. Moshe had nothing to do with anything. Moshe had no business there. He had no interest in the machlokas. If one side thinks it's all about them, that they're the only viewpoint, that they're the only side that's legit, that's not l'shem shemayim. If that's if that's the only side that's if one side is looking to appease and one side is looking to run away, right? Like Moshe went to Dustin and Aviram, right? Went to went to Korach to try to appease them, right? Even though he wasn't the one who started it. If that's the one, if that's what's going on, so then it's not L'shem Shemayim. So then it's, that's Shach to run to run away. Okay. Some other some other another point that I want to just bring out from the parsha. Now again, we're still talking about still within the idea of Machlokas. Fascinating, fascinating uh, insight from Rav Asher Weiss. Pazik says. Uh, if you're just if you're looking it up, or if you're looking it up later, listening to the recording or whatever, and practice design puzzle. Hey, so Moshe says, right tomorrow you guys are coming, right to bring Ketores, just to find the pasuk, and he says, Boker next morning viyoda Hashem In the morning, Hashem will tell, let you know who is correct, and it says uh, Rashi over there. Uh, uh, one second, sorry. Uh, is it Rashi? Okay, I'm not sure if it's Rashi. I don't see it over here. Ah, yes, it is Rashi. He does bring it. He said, Moshe, Moshe said, Gvulos chalak akosh baruch He said, Moshe, he said, Korach, listen, Hashem made rules in this world. Right? You're trying to fight the fact that I'm leading B'nai Israel. Kosh Baruch Hu decides these things. What do you think? Like, like I figured this out? Kosh Baruch Hu decides things. Like he made natural rules in the world. What, can you just like change morning to night? Right? Ironic that Hashem did stop the sun from Moshe and Yeshua in certain cases, but whatever. Meaning, when he said to Korach, you, you can change morning into night. Right? So too, meaning this is the same thing. Hashem told me to be the leader. What do you want from me? Kosh Baruch Hu set up Right, rules of nature. Says Rav Weiss, why did he pick that example? There are many examples of nature that, that Moshe could have picked: gravity, weather, natural food, people. What, why did he pick? Can you take morning into night? So says Rav Weiss, a beautiful point. Remember the Medrash at the beginning of uh, of Bereshis, right? When Kosh Baruch Hu says that Hashem made Shnei Hamaros Hagadolim, two equal bright lights. The sun and the moon, one for the day, one for the night. The measure says, what happened? You guys are familiar? The moon came to Hashem and said, hey, it's not fair. Right? Why should you have two? How can two kings rule in one world? So Hashem said, okay, fine, no problem. You get smaller. And that's what happened to the moon. And that's why the moon reflects the sun. Says, uh, says Rav Asher Weiss, that's what happens when you complain. Well, you, Korach, you're going to come and complain. What, you know what happens to the complainer? When someone complains to Hashem about his lot, you know what Hashem says? Okay, so you can have less. No problem. Right? That's exactly what you're going to get ended up. That's what Moshe was telling him. And why is this true? Because the, someone who complains is lacking in Munah Bitachon. Right? Kosh Baruch Hu gives everybody what they need. Right? We were talking about Munah Bitachon in the last couple of weeks. Uh, different bits here or there. If a person tries to take revenge, tries to influence something, take matters into your own hands, 
Are you trying to manipulate something that someone loses their power or their place or whatever, loses their job? Who do you think gave them the power in the first place? Who do, you, who do you think gave this person, put this person in a position of authority in the first place? Right? Everything happens for a reason. Akash Baruch Hu, right? the person doesn't stub their toe unless they're Xerah made in Shemayim, like the Gemara says. So this was, again, this is, so that's what Moshe was trying to tell Korach. And this is the Ramban writes, the Igeris Ramban. If you read the Igeris Ramban, what, is a person, what is, should a person be proud of? What is there for a person to have an ego about? Right? Money, intelligence, power, everything's from Akash Baruch Hu. Right? Everything's a gift from Hashem. Says of Melech Biederman, an amazing vort. There is a super weird Gemara in Baba Basra. He doesn't say it's super weird. I say it's super weird, but this is what it, the Gemara says in Baba Basra. The, the psukim there are, are talking about uh, analyzing psukim about Eov. So Eov says something about uh, that a kosh takes care of the, takes care of the gazelle. What does that mean? So the Gemara says that a gazelle, an ayal, right, an ayal has a narrow womb, so that it's difficult for it to give birth. And when it gives birth, Hashem brings a snake to bite it. The womb opens because of the, the, I guess, the contraction of the or the shock of the of the bite, and that's how it gives birth. And then uh, apparently it's able to resist the the poison, obviously, and, the, and then it survives. Right? It says the Gemara: if the snake is one moment too early or one moment too late, the birth is too traumatic, and the baby gazelle, the baby ayal, dies. It says Ramelech, fascinating. Think about this from the perspective of a snake. And he says the Chovas Alavavos writes in Sharbi Tachon that it's the gazelle, it's an ayal, he's talking about different natures of, of animals that Hashem did, right? He said the gazelle's nature, the ayal's nature, is to hunt snakes. Right? That's why the Medrash compares Esther right, to an ayal, to ayal adashachar, right? That's the mizmor, the, the ayal adashachar, tehillim chavbez, that's, that's Esther, right? Because she was able to hunt and eliminate the snake, right? Haman. So, a sna- so the snake is the enemy of the gazelle. The snake is definitely not here to help the birthing process. Right? He's there to bite the gazelle back. He's there to take revenge, I guess, on, on the fighting on the, on the gazelle. What's happening when he tries to intervene and try to bite and try to fight and try to get revenge on the gazelle? It's exactly the opposite. He's actually saving the life of the baby gazelle. The truth, if you would just leave them alone and not start a fight and leave, not, not bite back and not start the, 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 you know, the machlokas, as, as you can imagine, the mashal over here, all the gazelles would die out. Says the if you would just keep his mouth shut, Right? And you got offended, you got upset, someone bothered you. Yeah, okay, fine. Just keep your mouth shut. Things will work th- work its way out. Things will work out eventually. And says Ramelech, when someone takes revenge, when someone tries to lead a coup, rebellion, or just a machlokas, even a machlokas with friends. Right? You think you're getting the upper hand. You think you're taking revenge, you're biting them back, you're getting it. Ah, oh, it's amazing, you're getting them back. Kush Baruch was in charge of everything. Right? If you had proper Amun Abitachon, right? what, what are you going to fight so that this person loses something out, they lose money, they lose this? If they're supposed to get it, they're going to get it. Okay, and, and very often, Hashem will give it to them through the exact thing that you tried to do. Right? Again, if the snake would leave the gazelle alone, all the gazelles would die out and the snakes would have no problem. Because right? they can't give birth and all the babies would die out. But the snake has to get itself, uh, has to insert itself into the situation. It says Rav Melech, that's the same thing with Nakama. That's the same thing with starting a machlokas. Right? That if you just leave it alone, time would pass, wounds will heal, egos get smoothed out. Right, very often, uh, things will take care of themselves. Um, so it's a, a very beautiful shot. Um, similarly, along the same lines, I forgot why I saw this, but there's a, there's a, a beautiful word about the end of the parsha. Right, we said at the end of the parsha, Kodesh Baruch Hu reaffirmed the fact that Aaron was the chosen, right, the chosen to be the Kohen Gadol and the Shevet Levi, etc. What happened? Everybody took sticks. And the sticks sprouted flowers and almonds. So I forget where I saw this. I saw this over the weekend because we had last week's parsha, but uh, it was Korach. But 
says, what, what's with the almonds? Right, flowers, I get. Okay, fine. What's with the almonds? So, fascinating. The Gemara says in Erevin, that there are two types of almonds in the world. I don't know if this is true, but I, if the Gemara says it, so I believe it. So, one type of almond starts out sweet, and then if you kind of process it, cook it, burn it, whatever, it gets bitter. And another type of almond starts bitter and becomes sweet. And says, whoever I saw this, savor, whoever, I apologize to the Gadol who says this, that's the difference between Machlokas and Shalom. Machlokas starts out sweet. Feels good. You get back at somebody. Yeah, it's awesome. But at the end, it turns bitter. It just doesn't, it gets worse. Shalom, peace is the opposite. Maybe at the beginning, you were insulted. You, were, you had a difficult time. You were slighted. And maybe you're right. And maybe, you know, it seems like you need to get into an argument, but you hold yourself back. It may be a little painful, right? You, to, to just be quiet when someone insults you or there's some sort of, Something, something happening that if you refrain from machlokas, it's painful at the beginning, but at the end, it's sweet because it doesn't uh, it doesn't affect anything. I remember my I remember instances in my own life where I kind of lashed out at something, and it's awkward to this day. To this day, it is awkward. I remember in shul, I was laning once, uh, and some guy did something that I didn't appreciate, and uh, and I still maintain that he was wrong. He was definitely wrong. I remember that the guy tried to do something, and he yelled at the guy so I yelled back at him. And to this day, it's awkward when that guy comes to the shir. This is five years later, right? And I kind of like just, and it was just so, I mean, now, he was wrong, but I, didn't, I shouldn't have yelled at him in the middle of shul, right? So, and to this day, five years later, it was awkward. That's, that machokas is sweet at the beginning, but it's bitter at the end. Okay, two more points. Last points, as I see, we're, we're winding down over here. One point that's not related to machokas, which I wanted to mention earlier, but again, it's, it's similar to what we mentioned last week in that, uh, well, we mentioned that, that all over, the Chumash, we see examples where actions or things are not inherently good or evil. It just depends on the context, right? And what and what content, what the Torah says about that context, right? We talked about the Ma'pilim that Bnei Israel before, right? When before the spies came and Hashem said, "Time to go to Eretz Israel." If Bnei Israel would have charged into Eretz Israel to fight the war, it would have been amazing, right? After the, Hashem said, "You're not going to Eretz Israel," right? Now you guys have to stay in the desert, right? There were people who said, "All right, you know what? We're in," and they ran up the mountain to fight the war. Exactly the same thing they should have done, let's say, a couple of days ago, and they all got killed. Right? So that act of the same action depends on context and depends on what the Torah says about it. So you see that again. Another example, just mentioned quickly in this week's parsha by the Ketores, right? Ketores, the offering of Ketores, killed 250 people because they decided to bring Ketores. Hashem burned their bodies with fire. Same thing happened in Nodan perhaps. They, they brought a... They, that was, Ketores was terrible, right? Ketores only should be brought by Aaron Akoin. Later in the Parsha, there's a plague. Kadesh Baruch is killing Jews, and Aaron takes the Ketores and stops the plague. That's the same offering of the Ketores. The Ketores on one hand stopped the plague, and Ketores on the other hand killed a bunch of people. It's not the Ketores. It's the context. Kadesh Baruch says, do this. That's good. That's good. That's how we define good versus evil. Kadesh Baruch says, don't do this. That's what's not, that's, that's not good. And that's the only determining factor. It's not the items uh, and the aspects involved. Okay, we always, I always like to point those out. Um, but uh, the last thing I want to do is read for you the last... Mishnah in Shas. What's the last Mishnah in Shas? Why am I reading this? Because I was at a bar mitzvah tonight, and the kid, very impressive, made a seum on Shas Mishnayis. Which means he read all the Mishnayis, all of them, in the Torah, uh, which is very impressive. And he quoted it, and I was like, oh, that's a good call. I should probably mention this. The last Mishnah, first of all, the last Mesechta, the last... uh, uh, How do you translate Mesechta? I don't even know. The last Mesechta, I'm just going to say it. The last Mesechta in Shas is something called Uktsin, which talks about, if you need a random topic for discussion, (laughs) uh, whether the stem of a food affects its Tumah or Tara. Okay, fine. Forget that. 
The last Mishnah has nothing to do with that. The last Mishnah says, I'm Rabbi Shuban Levi. Baruch in the future, in the next in the next world, will give each tzaddik three hundred and ten worlds. Baruch the best kli, the best utensil that contains that keeps bracha for Am Yisrael is peace, is shalom. Now, what is that? What 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 does that mean? Hashem, the only thing that contains bracha, the best thing that contains bracha is peace, and you see that that's true. That just in your own lives, I'm sure you can think about it. But you know they have the phrase "happy wife, happy life." That's true. But when there is shalom, when there is peace, everything is fine. And if there is not shalom, if there is fighting in the house, you could be the most wealthy, prestigious, powerful, it does not matter. Right? If there's shalom in a house or between friends, let's say, or between siblings, whatever it is, you can get get through anything. Right? Again, I'm sure you guys can bring examples of this. I don't need to do that. But basically, when, when there is shalom, shalom is the key. Shalom is crucial to success and happiness and accomplishing in life, both spiritually and physically. Um, and that's what literally the last thing, in the, that's the last mission in the entire shots. That, that basically the, the Kahati and the Bartanura and, and other commentaries point out why are we saying this, just Dafka and the, and the Mishnahis, because the Mishnahis are filled with Machloksin. Right? And so don't think that the Machloksin that you're seeing in all these pages are not Lashem Shemayim. They're all Lashem Shemayim. Right? And they are, that, that is fine. That is a proper Machlokas when you're looking for truth. Right? But uh, don't think that the Chachamim were fighting with each other. Don't think they hated each other. They loved each other. Right, and that is the, that is the peace that they had, and that is what the bracha that they had that they were blessed from Akash Baruch So we should all focus. Again, obviously this week, the theme is try and make as much peace as possible. Uh, try and run away from Akhlokas, Try and run away, run away um, from fighting and uh, and taking you know arguments into our own hands. Uh, and Mitzvah Shem will be zocha to all the bracha in the world that Akash Baruch uh, will give us. All right, good to see everybody. Have a great, great Shabbos, and we'll see you next week, Mitzvah Shem. My pleasure, no problem. Have a great Shabbos. Be good. Yeah, sure, no problem.